Good morning. Well, it's great to be back here. And uh, I would just like to thank uh, Jessica, first and foremost, for the, uh, the blessed opportunity to stand before you once again and on this day of prayer for our community. And uh, I know uh, there are folks who just came in today for Hybrid Week. And if you're one of them, uh, will you please stand up? Uh, I came here for Hybrid Week, by the way. So if you can stand up so people will acknowledge you. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome. So I welcome myself and I welcome all of you as well. <laughs> so I'm supposed to talk about what it means to be still and know. Can we all say that together? Be still and know. One, two, three. And which is really based from Psalm 46. And, and what really catches my attention is the second part of this phrase, no. Okay? No. For this quickly reminds us of what we call in the Wesleyan tradition assurance or the doctrine of assurance. For in any relationship, assurance is important, isn't it? Yes, you know, for any relationship without this assurance is bound to fail. So, so what is assurance anyway? Well, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it says it is a state of being sure or certain about something. It is a state of being sure or certain about something. So when you apply this to relationships, assurance means knowing with certainty that your relationship is secure. Amen? So, so, for example, if married couples don't have this sense of assurance, there will be insecurity in the relationship. Like, for example, if the husband goes on a trip and the wife doesn't have this sense of assurance, well, she will easily have these weird ideas or suspicion that her husband is having an affair. Isn't it? Even though there's, there's really nothing happening there. There is insecurity. And if there is insecurity, there will be trouble. So what needs to happen then? Well, should the wife should uh, uh, sneak in an air tag in his husband's bag? Or maybe inject him something with a GPS tracking device? <laughs> Just like Mission Impossible, you know? <laughs> or perhaps... Or perhaps, you know, maybe the, the wife should change her attitude. Should she just think happy thoughts? You know, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts, happy thoughts. You know, or just psych herself up. No, I think much of the burden lies on the husband. Well, can I hear an amen uh, from the wives here? <laughs> the burden lies with the husband, isn't it? Yeah, because the husband will have to do things that will assure his wife of his love for her. Perhaps a phone call would help, or a quick text with a heart emoji <laughs> saying how much he loves her. And mind you, this is not only when he is away. He also needs to maintain this relationship by constantly reminding his wife that would assure her of his constant undying love for her. In the same way, friends, in our walk with God, 
God always moves to assure us of his love for us. Amen? Because he doesn't want us to become insecure with our relationship with him. And it is this aspect of our understanding of salvation that we often miss. That there is this epistemological element of salvation. So by the way, if you heard epistemology, I hope you're not intimidated by that. <laughs> it only means, means this branch of philosophy that deals with the question, how do we know? Okay? Uh, so there is this epistemological element to salvation. We know because God himself makes us know. How? And here's the answer. Through Holy Spirit. Through Holy Spirit. And we find that in our text this morning in Romans chapter 8. Uh, and here we see how the Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit makes us know. And the first way Holy Spirit makes us know is he does this by making us know our destiny. Can we all say destiny? You know, because it says in verse 11, Romans 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. Also through his spirit that dwells in you. So here, friends, we find the promise of the resurrection, or what we call the general resurrection. This is also what Paul talks about in Colossians 1, verse 27, when he said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you'll find this also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44, uh, which, where Paul says that when Christ returns, our body, which are corruptible, will take on the incorruptible. <laughs> Amen? This is the general resurrection, or the resurrection of the body. We will have resurrection bodies. Can you say to the person beside you, you will have resurrection body? And this is, you know, this is an embodied resurrection, by the way. So, so in any destination, in any journey, there has to be a destination. But here's the thing. As you journey towards that destination, you will need to know. You need to know if you're still on the right path. It's like driving on the highway. You know, if you're driving and you're not seeing any road signs, that's kind of weird, isn't it? You might even think, am I in an episode of The Twilight Zone? Okay? Because you want to know, you want to know whether you're still going on the right directions. Because otherwise, if you don't see any road signs, what happens? You'll end up panicking, and probably you'll decide to turn back. In the same way, Friends, God gives us assurance along the way so we will know what is to come. Amen? 
What is that what is to come is indeed going to happen. How? Well, Paul said in Romans 8:11, through his spirit that dwells in you. Since we have Holy Spirit, we will know our destiny. And this is really also re-echoed by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Because in that text, if you go to verse 1 up to 4, he talks about, he's saying, we live, for we live in this earthly tent, he said. But because remember, he's a tent maker. Okay? He said, we live in this earthly tent. But there will be a time that we will take on heavenly dwelling. That's what he said. But then he moves on to verse 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5, and, and ask the question, how do we know? How do we know that this isn't going to happen? Well, in verse 5, he said, Now the one who has fashioned for us this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Amen? It's interesting that Paul refers to Holy Spirit as a deposit. Can we all say deposit? What does he mean by deposit here? I think what he means here is really akin to what we would, what we would call down payment. It's like making the first installment on a purchase. It's making a pledge that you will eventually pay the full balance later. So this is why, in other translations, the word used here is guarantee. Amen? So we know for sure that what's going to happen in the future is certainly going to happen because we have Holy Spirit as a deposit. Amen? So this is why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because it is God's way of making a deposit in us. He is giving us a guarantor. Because when you are filled with the Spirit, you will see positive changes in your life. You will begin to live in holiness. You will have the fruit, take note, singular fruit, fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, you will have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. self-control so once you see all these things happen to you you know that something way much better is yet to come amen whoa I'm changing (laughs) see that before all you think about is yourself and now you see yourself caring for other people before when you have a problem you have you end up having a pity party in the corner but now you have joy, you have this peace that passes all understanding. Before you followed your own desires, whatever your, your flesh wants, you give into it. But now you find yourself having more self-control. And so as you witness these transformations happening in your life through Holy Spirit, you will be certainly be sure, you will have the certainty that one day you will have resurrection body. Amen? Well, in her book, Practicing Christian Doctrine, 
Uh, theologian Beth Falker Jones actually called this Holy Spirited Bodies. <laughs> Holy Spirited Bodies. She writes, God will free us from the sinful orientation of the fallen, selfish body and from the bondage to death. And from bondage to death. God will free us to work with and in the power of the Holy Spirit, giving us holiness and everlasting life. And so, friends, as the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives, in this present, it's actually a practice for what is to come. It's actually a preparation. We are being prepared for the future. And we will know with certainty our destiny. But there's one more thing that we will know through Holy Spirit. And it is this. We will know our identity. Can we all say identity? For in Romans 8.16, Paul said, It is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Or in other translations, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Amen? So why do we need this type of knowing or this type of assurance? Because we always tend to forget that we are God's children. By the way, how do we become God's children anyway? How do we become children? Well, according to John 1, verse 12, you know, Jesus said, yet to those, or John said, yet to those who receive him, to those who, be, who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Amen? It's because of our, what? Saving faith in Jesus. We became children of God. The moment we profess faith in Jesus, we are justified. Justified, And once that happens through Holy Spirit, we begin to know that we are God's children, that we have this new identity in Jesus, or as early Methodists would say, the witness of the Spirit. The witness of the Spirit. So why do we need this witness? Why? First, it's because of the presence of sin. You know what, when I was still a pastor, I get this question mostly from young people. And they would tell me, Pastor, I mess up again. And they think that God disowned them because of that. Because you know, the presence of sin can make us insecure, isn't it? And not only that, when we go through a crisis, let's say things seem to be falling apart in our lives, you face one setback after another. Perhaps you're dealing with an illness, or you're dealing with a, uh, with a family, family crisis or a financial crisis. Or maybe as a student, you, you just can't seem to keep up with all the things that, that are going on in your life. Or maybe as a professor, just like me. <laughs> you're trying to stay afloat. You barely stay, are staying afloat. And so when we go through crisis, different crises in life, the tendency is, is most often we become insecure. Isn't it? We become fearful. 
And then what happens? Well, we end up responding to our problems from a place of insecurity in, instead of security. As an institution, you know what? We live in such a volatile time. Seminary education is changing fast. And I know we're trying to keep up as a seminary dealing with these new challenges that are thrown right before us. This is why I don't even envy the president <laughs> and those who are in the administration for this monumental task that is before them. So that's why my prayer is that we should not let our guard down. Let us not forget who we are. Amen? And how God raised this seminary 100 years ago. We shall be okay. Amen? For when we let our fears take over, we are essentially saying that God doesn't really love us. Let me repeat that. For when we let our fears take over, we are essentially saying that God doesn't really love us. Well, friends, this reminds me of my son, Wesley. Yes, I named him Wesley, by the way. <laughs> A little Filipino Wesley, by the way. <laughs> when he was five years old, you know, he easily forgets the fact that I love him. When I pick him up from school, you know, I go to his, pre I, I leave work early, you know, probably before three o'clock, and then I go pick him up from preschool. So I get him, I strap him at the back of the car, take note, the back of the car, not the trunk of the car, okay? And, and as we get home and park at the garage, the moment I step out of the car, I open the, you know, the, the, the door from the driver's side, I get out. The moment I do that, you know what happens? He bursts, you know, uh, he just cries. <laughs> you know, why? Because he fears that I'm going to abandon him, that I'm going to leave him. And I say to myself, well, this kid has amnesia. He has memory loss. He doesn't realize that I took all the effort to leave work early, drive to get him from school, take him back home, and then suddenly I'm just going to leave him in the garage. <laughs> he has amnesia. But you know what, church? Unfortunately, most of us do are like that. We behave that way in terms of how we relate to God. We too have amnesia. How? When we let fear take over, we easily forget our identity in Jesus. But you know what? In Romans 8, verse 14 to 15, here's what Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. See, because we, are, we have Holy Spirit, we no longer have to be slaves to fear. 
but rather we now are adopted to sonship or to daughtership. We now can cry, Abba, Father. Friend, Abba's an Aramaic word. It's un- 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 translatable. That's why it's left in the Aramaic. Abba. It's a word that's never used in the Old Testament, but just called the Father Abba. It's kind of like Dad, Daddy. It's very intimate. It's close, intimate relationship. But here's the thing. We too can do that. Amen? We can call God Abba. And just like my kids, now, when we're having dinner at the, at, in the house, they don't say, Professor O'Connor, will you please pass the ketchup? <laughs> no. They simply call me Papa. They have that privilege. I am their dad. And God says to us, you too can call me dad. You can call me Abba. And the neat thing here is that the text says, Cry, Abba, Father. It means that we can cry out to Him. Not just when you're happy or things, when things are going well, we can come to Him even at our most vulnerable moments. Even when things aren't going well for us, we can simply, simply cry out to Him, Abba. Friends, for true Holy Spirit, you will simply know. Amen? You will know. You will know. For He will communicate to your spirit in ways that we, I cannot even articulate right now. But somehow, you will know when the Holy Spirit communicates to your spirit. And this reminds me of John Wesley on May 24, 1738. When he wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. You know why? John Wesley was able to say that it's because Holy Spirit made him know. How do we know? Because he said, I felt my heart strangely warm. It means he felt heat in his chest. This was a supernatural touch from the Holy Spirit. He was not speaking in metaphors here. Why do I know? Because three days earlier, his brother Charles wrote something similar. Charles wrote in his journal, I felt a strange palpitation in my heart. And that's why he called it his Pentecost, his Pentecost day. Friends, that's my prayer for all of us today. That, that as we deal, or as we go through this day of prayer, may you experience Holy Spirit in a very powerful way. 
Can we all stand up? Can we just sing the, the chorus of this song? I'm no longer a slave. 